Introducing the newest addition to the Sonos home sound system, the Sonos One. This smart speaker blends great sound with Amazon Alexa, so you can use your voice to control your whole Sonos system. Connect it to a Sonos home theater system and tell Alexa to turn up the TV volume in your living room so you can hear an ice hockey play-by-play on the podium while you're cooking in the kitchen. From NBC Sports and Vox Media, this is The Podium. So let's get into the head of Sean White. The shipment of the United States. Lindsey Vaughn, this is her chance now. And I'm your host, Lauren Shahadi. Welcome to day five of the 2018 Olympic Winter Games. Today in Pyeongchang, Sean White won his third gold medal in his fourth Olympics. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry to do the last round. We spoke with Sean White earlier this week, had a lot of fun. We went back to his first ever interview from 2003. And we asked him how he's changed since those early days. Just take a listen back to yesterday's episode if you haven't heard it already. White has the spotlight today, but the breakout star of the 2018 games might just be Chloe Kim, the 17-year-old snowboard phenom. She started her first Olympic Games with a bang, blowing away the halfpipe competition to become the youngest female snowboarding medalist in Olympic history. I spoke with Chloe, and I asked her, what were you thinking about before your run? I just really thought about my family and that really motivated me and I was so excited to see them at the bottom of the half pipe. You're not thinking of ice cream or breakfast sandwiches? Um, afterwards, I am. My stomach grumbled a few times in the middle, but it's fine. As Chloe is enjoying her first Olympics here at the International Broadcast Center, we're surrounded by veterans. One of them is Mary Carrillo. She's a familiar voice to anyone who's watched Olympic coverage over the last two decades. This is her 14th time at the Games. I wanted to talk to her because she has so much experience in covering the Olympics and as a sports reporter. When she started, she was a rarity, a woman sports broadcaster. We'll get to that in just a minute. When she joined us in our studio, we started with memories from her first Olympic Winter Games. The first one I did, um, I was in Alberville, and I had been I had been told to be at the bottom of the ski hill. I was basically doing interviews from there, and. <laughs> Um, an American had a surprise run, and it was great. And there's, you've been down, I'm sure, in the mix zone where the host nation gets to ask the first couple of questions, and then we all get only two questions. And if it's an American who's done well, you know, I get my two questions. There was a guy from the now departed MTV Sports, this total stoner guy. So I was going to get two questions, and he was going to get one. And there's a reason why they stopped covering the Olympics because after I asked what I thought were pretty good questions, what this, did he ask? Oh, this guy, <laughs> this it was Hillary Lind who just medaled in the downhill. She had a real bold, tremendous run, and this guy says to her, "So Hillary, uh, man, uh, what would the downhill be like if there was like no gravity?" And God bless Hillary Lind. She just looked at him and she said. Oh, man. Like she got into her stoner mode. You know? Oh, man. Well, I guess I'd just float away. He was just like, yeah, man. 
And she left, and I just look at this dude and say, I can't believe I didn't ask that question. I was just going to say, <laughs> I'm guessing you didn't ask about gravity in uh, your two questions how, that you got. No, I felt like a fool. So, no, so I've covered all kinds of stuff. I've covered, I love skiing. I love figure skating. I was at the women's hockey game between the Unified Korea and Switch. I will watch anything involving excellence. I love winter sports. I love summer sports. The winter sports take you to different places from my former life as a professional athlete because I, I, was, I played some tennis back when the earth was still cooling. And we go to great places. We go to Rome and London and Paris and New York. And, but these places take you to, you know. Cortina d'Ampeso and, and Switzerland and Austria. And it's a totally different culture. It's a totally different climate. There's all kinds of beautiful mountains. So I've been lucky. I've, I've been able to see a lot of the planet because of the Olympics. You mentioned, Mary, the unified Korean team. I'm wondering, Mary, what it would be like for the South Korean women's hockey team to all of a sudden have to accept these members from the North. They had been practicing together, the South Koreans, for almost four years, and they had a, a rookie, you know, Olympic coach. She's only 29 years old, Sarah Murray, so everything was new to them anyway. You know, it's not like there's a large, long, respected hockey culture uh, in Korea. So it was going to be hard enough to really do something special here. And now you add, you know, 12 members of the North Korean team, and it was a very amazing and interesting social experiments, if not a political one. And I I tend to get tangential about this stuff. But I feel like they didn't do it with the men's hockey team, you know? They did it with the women. And, and <laughs> it's almost, to me, it's almost like, well, all right, if we're going to integrate, we'll put it on this side, but not on that mm -hmm. side. So there was part of me that resented that. But in any event, it was something to see for two nights straight from the opening ceremony to the women's hockey game. Korea was one. And there were, they didn't win, but they were one. It was very moving. Who knows what happens if this is just something that the two Koreas are going to do for 17 days and then they go back to where they were. But I'm glad they did it. It's better than, you know, pointing weapons at each other. And that was how the Olympic movement started. Ancient Greece. I mean, this is the whole idea was for just a short amount of time, you suspend wars all over the world. That's what it was all about. You've been taking in all the Olympic events, Mary, and you interview the best of the best, whether it's on the tennis court or at the Olympic Games. I'm wondering if you're able to quantify what makes an Olympic gold medalist champion. Is there one thing, one trait all of them have? Well, the trait is certainly excellence and commitment more than anything. But what I have always loved about the athletic heart is resilience. I mean, when, when you see people, you know, get back up again and they are able to reset and something has broken their heart or broken their leg and they are still willing to get up and get back to some level of excellence that, you know, maybe they've never achieved or no one else has ever achieved before. That to me is so moving. People are always surprised, you know, how can you like all these dumb jocks? I don't think they're dumb. And, and I, love, I love the fact that they're willing to put it all on the line like that. There's nothing like that to me. If you had to describe your career, Mary, in one word, what would it be? Wackadoodle. <laughs> Is that a word? <laughs> well, let me, let me, Lauren, let me, let, me just, let, me, let me just put it to you this way. I started in January 8th. I went to the Australian Open Tennis, and I went directly there to here, and I'll be here for, I don't know, 26 days. And from the Australian Open Tennis and the Winter Olympics, I head straight to the Beverly Hills Dog Show, 
which I love, by the way. And then I go from there to Indian Wells for another big tennis tournament. Next month, I turn 61. I've been doing this a long time. At this stage of my delirious career, I just want to do stuff I really like. And the fact is, I really like a lot of stuff. I'm curious. I'm interested. I want to hear what's going on. I want to understand what I'm watching. I also want to see the planet. I've always told my kids, I've got two kids, it is your sworn duty to see this planet and to appreciate it and to meet the people in it, you know, and, and to respect it and to honor it. You're giving your kids advice. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? My mentor, my, a great friend of mine, is Billie Jean King. Um, I've known her since I was a teenager. She's given me all manner of advice over the decades that we've known each other. And the interesting thing is when I've gotten frustrated working with somebody or thinking, that, oh, God, this is such a guy industry. and I'm so tired of all these people. Billy is the one who has said to me time and again, you have to stay in the room. You can't give up your space. You know, you can't leave and just throw rocks at the window from the outside. You have to hang in there, and you have to believe that you belong. I'm thinking of our listeners at home, and I'm wondering what's something about the games people who have never been to one wouldn't know. Ooh, that's a good one. What they wouldn't know. I think what they probably wouldn't understand is all the work that got them there. <laughs> what I mean, that, that to me, it's the sweat equity of it all. And this is why I love Roger Federer. The work they do to make something very hard look very easy. Again, I'm a great respecter of that in anything. Anyone who can play the piano, great. I think what people don't understand is how hard they work to make something look so easy. And then it all comes down to three minutes. Yeah, and that's the hard thing. I mean, at least I was in a sport, tennis, where there are a lot of tennis tournaments. There are four majors a year. You know, the fact that so many of these sports, especially the, you know, delirious winter sports, you know, that you really only watch every four years or care about, you know, that you only have a time to shine in such a, a very specific, to your point, just a couple of minutes will either make or break, you know, your legacy. I cannot even imagine that kind of pressure. And that's why I, there are some events here that I watch through my fingers because I want so badly for everybody to do well and everyone to shine. And every single day here, it's, somebody's going to have the greatest day of their life and somebody's going to have a heartbreak. And then there's all that stuff in between. It's exhausting. It's exhausting even thinking about it. Mary, thanks so much for the time. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. It's awesome to talk to you. Time for us to step aside and take a break. And when we come back, the combined Korean women's hockey team hasn't had much success on the ice. But the fans don't seem to care too much about the score. We'll take you inside the game and a side trip into North Korea. Next, don't go far. I'm here in Pyeongchang for the Olympics, and I got the cutest video this morning from New York City. My two little girls having a living room dance party with Daddy, rocking out to our play base, the wireless speaker for my TV from Sonos with full theater sound. The play base is slim, it's sleek, it can slide under your TV, and it hooks up with just two cords. It's fully immersive, great for movies, but we've also been using it to stream Dora the Explorer. And thank goodness I can control the volume from my phone or my TV remote. When I turned on my girls' favorite Kids Bop channel, they held hands and started jumping up and down, so I'm guessing they appreciate the incredible sound quality as well. 
Sonus is offering listeners of the Podium podcast 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use the promo code WINTER10, capital W-I-N-T-E-R, one zero, at Sonos.com to receive this offer. Welcome back to the podium. Today in Pyeongchang, the North South Korean women's hockey team faces off against Japan at Kwandong Hockey Center. The combined team lost its first two games, 8-0 to Switzerland on Saturday and 8-0 to Sweden on Monday. We were at the game against Sweden, and while the fans we met would love to see a win, the score didn't seem to matter all that much. He's a uh, win-lose, it doesn't matter. That's Kim Won-jae with our interpreter. Kim is 65 years old, from Gangwon province, home to Pyeongchang. He already knows that Korea is a weak country for playing hockey. What he wants to see is just play the best for, for the Koreans, the spectators, and for around the whole uh, world, spectators. Kim said that at first he felt bad for the South Korean hockey team. He thought they should have their Olympic moment without having to integrate a bunch of new players. But eventually he changed his mind. The symbol was more important than winning the game. He was born in just before the Korean War, so he, he thinks that we call North Korean Korean and South Korean Korean. We are Koreans. Kim was at Kwandong Ice Arena with his whole family, including his young grandson. We asked what it meant to him to bring his grandson to see North and South play together, and what he hoped for his grandson for the future. Unification is kind of hard right now, but when he grows up, it will get better. Like West Germany and East Germany, that we can travel to North and North Korean can travel to South, he helped him. Almost everyone we spoke to at the game was waving the unified Korea flag. White, with a drawing of the Korean peninsula in blue. 16-year-old Yu Win Lu talked about the significance, waving this flag at this game. It is kind of a first step for Korea to go forward for unification. Many families are separated because of the line. Lou is hopeful, but realistic, about what the games might mean for future North-South relations. Of course, it will take lots of time and lots of effort and lots of money for unification, but I hope 20 years or 30 years later, it will one day happen. That's my kind of bucket list. As Mary Carrillo said, the combined Korean team just couldn't stand up to the Swedish players. But the fans' enthusiasm never wavered. This one woman I met from Incheon summed it up pretty well. Playing together is obviously definitely really good for Korean people, and she wants to cheer for North Koreans as well. Then she said, go Korea. So a select few North Koreans, hockey players, cheerleaders, government officials, have come south for the Winter Games. Back in 1998, both governments agreed to open a tourist zone at a mountain just north of the demilitarized zone. A number of South Koreans we've met in Pyeongchang have been there. But in 2008, the region closed after a North Korean soldier shot a South Korean tourist who had wandered into a restricted area. And North Korea isn't just closed off to its neighbors in the South. Very few of us outsiders are allowed in. 
But the country does make some exceptions. Here, an amusement park in the capital. Bumper cars and cell phone cameras. Though not connected to the World Wide Web, they are small signs of a growing economy. That's Keir Simmons. He's a correspondent for NBC News. He went to North Korea last October. And yes, his government minders took him to an amusement park. I asked him if he knew what to expect before he stepped off the plane. You know, it's one of those places where you don't know what you're going to get until you get there. And I was traveling with one producer who's from Russia, for example. Now, if you are Russian, you, you recognize it as a kind of 1950s version of Russia. Same way as if we go to Cuba, we recognize it as a kind of 1950s version of America. Uh, but it was very foreign to me. I mean, it was strange is one way to describe it. Surreal to see this place that is so isolated, uh, as far as we're concerned, that is so difficult to get to. You wake up to hear this strange music being played across loudspeakers across the city of Pyongyang. I think it's supposed to be kind of invigorating or um, nationalistic or increase people's enthusiasm for the country. It just woke me up and it was, <laughs> you know, I was already dealing with jet lag. So I said in the piece that we did on the Today Show that you never know really what people there are thinking. And that was one of my uh, lasting impressions. You have conversations with people, you just, you, you find yourself constantly thinking, are you telling me what you really think or what you think you should say? or have you been brainwashed, or are you just good at pretending, and you never really get an answer to that. How much do people know about the outside world? Some people know a lot, and we shouldn't be naive about that. You know, so we were accompanied by government minders the, the entire trip, because you always are, and they are from a division of the government that's job is to deal with US media. So they watch a lot of US media. I mean, they watch NBC. Uh, so that was kind of weird. And I think we can be, we shouldn't be naive in thinking that, that they are naive. Uh, but everyday folks in in North Korea, you know, clearly they have a different perspective and, and they don't get much contact with the outside world. We know that. You said you're accompanied by government. You see kids laughing and people thriving. That is hardly, care the picture that's painted. Yeah, it's not the picture that's painted. Uh, but then this is a country... Uh, of uh, millions of people, so there are different kinds of people there. And I think one of the things to remember is that uh, we were in Pyongyang, in the capital. Now, inevitably, those people are the wealthiest. They are. This is the upscale part of the country. So uh, these are people who inevitably support the government. Uh, so we didn't get to see other sides of the country, uh, and, and maybe you'd get a different picture there. So, But the people that we saw are likely to be supporters of uh, Kim Jong-un and of the of the government because they are the people that are surviving and, and thriving the best under that, uh, you know, kind of leadership. One of the things that sticks out to me is that billboard, larger than life, of Kim Jong-un. So there are billboards of the great leaders, uh, Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, Kim Jong-un, everywhere. It is all over the place. And... One of the 
early lessons is you have to be very careful around those pictures because a real mistake, a real faux pas uh, in North Korea is to be disrespectful towards even those images. So even the way that you take a photograph of them, you, you, they want you to take the full photograph, full frame, uh, don't crop it in any way. Uh, so those are the kind of things that you need to know before you go or you can get into a little trouble. Uh, but in terms of talking to the people, here's something. We, we would go to people and ask them, you know, uh, we, we went to a beer hall, how's the beer? They'd say, we want to thank Kim Jong-un for the beer that we're drinking. It was the start of their answer. You know, we were at the fairground. What do you think of the fairground? We want to thank Kim Jong-un for the fairground ride that we're riding on. And we were just perplexed by this. We didn't ask about Kim Jong-un. Is everybody in this country so... Uh, loyal to Kim Jong-un that they will just talk about him in every answer and then when we got back we realized that our government translators were translating my questions as how would you praise Kim Jong-un for this you know that's the kind of thing that we had to figure out as we went through the, the process uh, that in fact there was some lost in translation let's call it if you will yeah <laughs> what did they say about Americans well they are many of them very negative about America. You know, when you ask them about America and they are, and they say we will fight America, we believe we could win the war against America, I don't, I think quite often they are really expressing views that they honestly hold and, and, and a, a genuine anger towards America, fed, of course, by the kind of media that they watch the entire time and the kind of messages that they've been given all their lives. The honest answer is that certainly from the people we speak to, you, you get a very negative picture. And that's important because, of course, as that tension develops between uh, the West and North Korea that we've seen over the past few years, it's important to try to understand what the actual North Korean people think, because that will make a difference to the way that Kim Jong-un and the North Korean leadership, what they decide to do. We think of North Korea here as strict and as unforgiving. So to be an Olympian in that country, more pressure? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, we went to the ice rink where they have been training and the great leaders are looking down on them. There is talk that if you don't succeed at the Olympics, that you're punished and sent to a kind of jail in North Korea. There's also a lot of evidence that isn't the case, actually, that the same athletes from North Korea, even if they don't succeed, appear again at other competitions. So, you know, um, I think we can exaggerate it. Uh, but yeah, certainly, uh, if you know that uh, the Supreme Leader is watching and you are North Korean, that, that is a certain kind of pressure. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Kira, thank you so much. You bet. That'll do it for our show today. Tonight in primetime on NBC, you'll see women's giant slalom with Michaela Schifrin, men's downhill and pairs figure skating. Our show producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Our senior producers are Jillian Weinberger and Golda Arthur. Our executive producer is Nishat Kerwa. Special thanks to Samantha Wade, Jenny Thompson, and Lily Fast. And thank you to Ho Chun Ju for interpreting, and Ruben Teo for the North Korean morning music. Find more episodes of The Podium on Apple Podcasts. You can watch the Winter Olympics on the networks of NBC, and you can stream every event live on NBCOlympics.com and the NBC Sports app. My name is Lauren Shahadi. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.
All right, so Sonos speakers are super easy to set up, but if you just don't even want to bother with that, you can have someone else do it for you for free. How awesome is that? That's right. If you live in any major metropolitan area, up and running, we'll have a trained expert deliver and set up your system absolutely free. Just order from Sonos.com and select up and running at checkout if you qualify.